I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to this special Times Opinion podcast from Birmingham. I'm Tim Montgomery. And this week in a special edition, I have Phil Collins and Anne Treneman reviewing George Osborne's big speech and taking the overall temperature of the conference. The former cabinet minister, Owen Patterson, talks to me about how the Tories deal with the UKIP threat. And also Phil Webster, editor of the Red Box Daily Politics email, takes us through the top 100 right-wingers in British politics. Well, welcome to this special edition of the Times Opinion Podcast. We're coming from Birmingham and the Tory party conference. Recording this on Monday afternoon, George Osborne has just given his big speech to the gathering. And I'm joined by our chief leader writer, Phil Collins, and parliamentary sketch writer, Anne Treneman. Anne, what did you think of George's big occasion? He often brings a rabbit out of his hat for these occasions. Did he do it for you? Well, I, the rabbit was probably the pension thing, which is happening today, he announced. So it's a huge excitement. I, I didn't think it was a big rabbit because it had the word pension in it. And I know that it's very exciting. It's a grey rabbit. I know. <laughs> on some level, it's exciting. But the word pension always means, you know, there's a little slight panic of what does it really mean, etc. I thought it was... I, mean, I know that he didn't mean it to be this way, but he looks very thin now. He looks slightly cadaverous, and I thought he was very austerity plus. Yeah. And it, I thought it was a bit grim. He's lost two stone, apparently, compared to when he gave this speech last year. This is I the know. this is the five-two diet. I think if we'd never seen him overweight, we'd probably think he looks fine now. But he now, compared, <laughs> he just looks like a twig. <laughs> and Phil Collins, of course, it's not just George Osborne that's on a five-two diet. The diet for the country's finances is going to continue stretching this analogy perhaps a bit too far <laughs> but um, although his language was of choose the future and optimism the underlying message was pretty grim on uh, more austerity to come. It, it really was as Anne said it was very, really very grim indeed and I think whenever a politician says pension what they mean is politics because the one thing he, he quoted Jim Callaghan I tell you with all candour yeah. but there were some things he wasn't candid about at all for example the refusal to go anywhere near pension and benefits. Now if the country can't afford in-work benefits, it surely can't afford pension and benefits, many of whom, many of which go to people who are quite wealthy, and yet there's no way he's going to touch that. Not because of some philosophical principle that means that they should, people should receive what they've earned, but simply because they vote and they vote Conservative. Yeah. So there was no candour there at all. It was odd not to draw a distinction between benefits for people in work and people out of work. 
the big problem George Osborne has is that economic recovery is not translating into living standards. And I'd have thought he'd want to put himself on the right side of that argument, and I felt he put himself very much on the wrong side of it. So he was not only grim, relentlessly so, <laughs> I thought politically it wasn't as astute as you come to expect from George Osborne either. One of his great expressions that he was known for, I think he got in I fixed the um, roof while the sun isn't shining, which was one of his awful sound bites. One of his others was, we're all in this together. Now you've mentioned pensioners clearly not sharing in austerity. Of course they've got very low interest rates, those who have savings, so they would complain that they're not doing very well from the monetary policy. But also, do you think there was enough to sort of say to higher earners that George Osborne was making everybody pay their share? I don't think there was. I think the, the political attack will come now from the Labour Party, which will partly on high earners and partly on blue-collar workers. There's nothing in it for those two people, either to take from the one or to give to the other. Now, he's got a difficult balancing act because there's not a lot of money to dispense and he's got a party to please at the same time. So he's trying to shore up one part of his party while trying to attract new people over, and that's always difficult. But I did feel he got the balance in the wrong place. I think he's made one big mistake in this last parliament, which was the 50p tax, which I think he went too early on. And I think he's made an error here today in not having more of a living standard speech. And the Google tax that was mentioned, this is supposedly a raid on the companies that Margaret Hodge, Hodge, the Labour MP who chairs the Public Accounts Committee, has been going after. Is this a gimmick or do we have to, is it real? Do we have to wait and see the detail that he's promised in the autumn statement? I think we probably have to wait and see. Whenever I hear a politician say that we'll go after tax evasion or avoidance, you always think, well, they always say that. I mean, but. I think it depends. There is one way in which you can cut that policy and it could be very large indeed. I suspect it will be a narrower policy focused on some of their recent activities. But we just don't know. We weren't given any detail. There was a lot of there was a lot in there that was what we're going to do in the future. And I personally like when he said, Oh, we're going to pick a runway. We're going to find our new airport. I thought, <laughs> we'll do it then. Yes. You know. <laughs> You know, we've There's had four and a half years, <laughs> let's do it now. Yeah. And it's um, Birmingham. You know, <laughs> and it's Birmingham. And he had quite a lot about it like that. And he also had this line which I found extremely irritating, which is, let's not choose the past, let's choose the future. <laughs> and I thought, like, we have a choice, frankly. I mean, what? That, you know, fa that <laughs> fails the Matthew Paris rule, doesn't it? If you can't say, I choose the past, not the future, it's a meaningless slogan. Who would it, say he, that? You know, he said it about... 25 times so it was yeah. like, I mean I just sort of thought hmm how do you think the uh, <laughs> conference the, the party members in the conference reacted to it and he seems to have grown in stature at least with the Tory faithful over the I years I think that they respect him but they do not love him a few of his things that he announced there should have been at least a crouching ovation for and yet and still there was applause and even the uh, you know the big pension thing there was there was there was, I think, one tiny whistle somewhere mm. and some clapping. So, you know, I just think they, they think that he's successful at being the austerity sort of chancellor, but I, they don't love him. No, it, it's a very hard to put the case for him for a moment. Does so, anyone love him? No, but he's not set out <laughs> to be loved. It's not easy to be loved when you've had to do the job he's had to do. I don't think he do. cares. I don't think he cares either. Oh, well, he does. He, when you remember he was booed at the Paralympic Games. That really got to yeah. him, according to Saul. He's not as impregnable to these uh, attacks, and uh, no, we're all he, affected he had by no this. option other than to double down on what he did in the early days when his strategy didn't appear to be working. He had to, he had to redouble his efforts, which he did, and he's had a bad 
time as Chancellor, in a sense, in that everything he's had to do has been cutting. He's very rarely been giving away. The, usually, the conference before an election, you hand things over. You have a number of rabbits out of a number of hats. He didn't really have anything today, as Anne said. Anne, wh what's your overall mood of the conference? It's obviously taking place in the, to the backdrop of the surge in UKIP and the defections. But the, people seem to be enjoying themselves still. Here. Oh yes, well people are having a blast because they're having fun with their friends and having a few drinks and that kind of thing. But also I think the mood towards UKIP is very much, okay, we'll fight you on the beaches type thing. And um, I think that's probably the best, it's much better than just ignoring it. Yeah. I mean ignoring it, like Labour probably would have done, is ridiculous. But the idea that they're just taking them on in their own game, there's loathing for UKIP now. I, I definitely think they loathe UKIP way more than they loathe the Labour Party. Yeah. Because and, and in a way that's well placed because UKIP is the one that could hurt them in the polls. That's the one that could, you know, get so a lot of Labour MPs might be elected because of the split vote. So Who, do you think I, I, I do. I think finally getting some anger into this yeah. party is absolutely what was needed. I think they've been so quiescent for so long about this threat, needed to show a bit of steel. And if Mark Reckless has tipped them all over the edge, I think that's all to the good. You know, it makes it more fun, certainly. He's finally I mean, achieved something. Finally achieved something. Yeah, this will be his epitaph. I mean, we're not having fun here. We should stress, and we, no, we, we come here purely for professional we have no purposes. Fun. Working but incredibly hard. But there are hard. people here who come to have fun, and that does help to explain the sort of slightly buoyant mood. But a bit of anger will be will be great fun. So it's the party party conference for the Tory delegates. Phil and thank you very much. One of the topics, of course, that's dominated the uh, party conference is the UKIP issue. Fringe meetings on the subject are incredibly well attended. And Mark Reckless's name, the Tory defector to UKIP, is often mentioned. And I'm joined now by Owen Patterson, the former cabinet minister. Owen, how much has the defection of Mark Reckless affected the mood of this Birmingham gathering? Well, I think it was not the greatest start to the conference, but I think we should not be knocked off course for our long-term strategy. So we came in with a country which was borrowing £300,000 a minute. Uh, we've created the conditions where 1.8 million jobs have been provided by the private sector. But we know there are dissatisfied people out there. I mean, John Major got over 14 million votes. And we should just remember the small C Conservatives out there are not yet convinced by us. And some of them, I think, sadly, are tempted to go to UKIP. So it is our job to stress that only the Conservative Party, it is the only national organisation that can do that. And interesting, you're not talking about Europe, you're talking much more about living standards and the economy. You think UKIP is more of an economic phenomenon than it is a, a Eurosceptic phenomenon? Well, that's, a, that's a very good question. I mean, the people who support UKIP in my part of the world... You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, would have been thoroughly decent, straightforward Conservatives. So we have to respect that. It's incredibly frustrating for me that they're tempted to look elsewhere to organisation which, as I see, has no depth. So I was watching the racing on Saturday afternoon. Suddenly we hear about the reckless resignation. I turn over, switch channels, and he's saying that he can't look his constituents in the eye because of immigration. Now, I think he's quite right to raise immigration because, as you say, immigration is a matter of real concern. Right across the UK, people are worried about pressure on hospitals and schools, uh, housing availability, roads, traffic, the whole thing. And I think as a party, we've been very... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze... 
relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Taken because of the sort of cultural cringe, not wanting to be the nasty party 10, 15 years ago, we should have listened very carefully to highly respectable, competent, sensible people like Sir Andrew Green, who raised this issue in a very civilised manner. But we are where we are. This is now a matter of real public debate. But to suggest, as Mark Reckless did, that you solve the problem by, quote, getting out of the EU is nonsense. If you look at the facts, 13% of our population are immigrants. So go outside the EU to Norway, within the EEA, the number there is just under 15%. Go right outside the EU, go to Switzerland, the number's 23%. And then hang on, how about Australia? Held up by UKIP as the example of a point system, it's 27%. So this is an enormously difficult issue, and in fairness to the government... It's quite a complicated argument for you to make, though, because the people voting UKIP aren't interested in the percentage of immigrants in Norway or Australia. They just want immigration brought under control. Complicated answers like that aren't necessarily going to persuade the average UKIP voter. No, that's... that's okay. so my, my point is very simple, actually. It is that... I've named you uh, a number of countries outside the EU and they've not solved the immigration problem. This is a very complex problem. We've begun to address it, taking out bogus colleges and things like that, but this will be a long process. It'll have to be a key part of our renegotiation, but we have to manage immigration. We have to continue immigration. Doing DEFRA, we had real flack from uh, the horticultural industry, very worried about who's going to pick the crops when crops are in season. We have to work incredibly hard, very skilled. What about the health service where we need top-class brain surgery. We can't stop immigration. What about the 1.8 million Brits abroad or the 4.5 million okay, EU citizens I think, here? I, th- I think we've you got know, your examples. We, we have to respect the fact that we have to manage immigration. It'll be difficult to do. The Tories I talked to seem to be very confident that if this was election was a straight fight between David Cameron's Conservatives and Ed Miliband's Labour Party, the Tories would be back in power next May. But UKIP seems to be the big thing that most threatens the chances of Tories being re-elected. Unless some of those 1.5 to 2 million voters that the party has lost to UKIP come back, this party has sunk at the next election. Yes, well, I would agree the interpretation that the country has sunk if we get Ed Miliband, because he wants to pursue policies which have led France to utter disaster. So unpleasant, vindictive, class-based wealth taxes have driven 500,000 Frenchmen to live in London. 
And it was quite interesting to talk to journalists last night who'd been at the Labour conference. They, they just knew that the Labour Party's not ready, there's no confidence in the leadership of the Labour Party. You saw the front bench during the debate last week, they just are not ready to be in government. But if we allow a significant slice of Conservative support either to stay at home, which I'm personally much more worried about than UKIP, or to go UKIP, yes, we will let in Ed Miliband by the back door. And, and that would be a trap. Is David Cameron the man best qualified to bring these UKIP voters back home? Because as far as I can see, he's the guy that has presided over the most significant split on the right of British politics in the post-war period. Doesn't someone else need to heal that division? But there, there are going to be two people fighting the election next May, and that's going to be David Cameron against Ed Miliband. And I'm utterly convinced that when Conservative parties are robust and offer Conservative policies and are, above all, optimistic, it's really important that we begin to describe the really optimistic position you this country you could be in. Answer my question about whether Ed, David Cameron no, is I the am, man to hear the division. I am. I'm literally about to answer that because David Cameron is a sunnier, more optimistic character than the rather awkward character that Ed Miliband is. And we know, so we only have to look at France, we know what would happen to this country very rapidly if Ed Miliband imposed his policies. With today's movement of capital, today's movement of people, bad policies lead to very bad results very quickly. Owen Patterson, thanks very much. Well, regular listeners to the podcast may remember that Phil Webster, editor of the Red Box Political Daily Email, joined me in Manchester to talk about the 100 most powerful people on the left. Um, you're doing the uh, people on the right this week, uh, Phil. You haven't revealed all of the uh, 100 top names that's compiled by a, a team led by Ian Dale, but uh, we have a lot of women on this new list and also quite a number of UKIPers as well. Yes, I can, uh, I can only tell you 51 to 100, and I'm not going to <laughs> recite the lot, because uh, that might be win. We'll win, be pleased to hear that. I yes. might win some nerds award for that. <laughs> but the, the uh, 51 to 100 list reflects what is a general phenomenon running through the whole list, which is the rise of UKIP. And there are a lot of names in there that wouldn't be household names. But they are not well even known, in their own household. Not even in their own household. And uh, but there are people like Tim Aker, the uh, the policy chief. There's the deputy. Uh, there's the deputy leader, Paul Nuttall. They've all featuring quite well now in that list. And to me, it's a sign that UKIP is moving, has moved into the mainstream. And for years, we haven't really treated UKIP seriously. Now they are there. Uh, so that's that's one notable feature in the list. There are several senior Tories who've moved down this time, people like Andrew Mitchell, the former Chief Whip, who's had all that trouble over Plebgate. Uh, he's moved down. Others move out altogether. Um, won't be able to tell you too much about them until tomorrow. And then there are some of the younger Tory women who are doing very well this year. Penny Morden, Pretty Patel, Andrea Leadsome, people like that, they're all, they're all making great strides up the list. So if you're looking a couple of generations or a generation down the line for a woman leader of the Tory party, we might have the name there in that bottom 50. Okay. And you can't tell us who are in the uh, top 100 that will be, probably be released by the time a lot of people listen to this podcast, but give us a clue as to what we might be able to look forward to. Well, I mean, the, 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 the big question is who's going to come out on top. Uh, David Cameron's been there 
for the last seven years, is he going to be on top tomorrow? Is it going to be Boris, who's had a, a very strong year? Is it going to be Nigel Farage, who's had a, a very, very strong year? Is it going to be Theresa May? Is it going to be another Tory potential leadership contender? A lot of people will be looking at that tomorrow morning just to see who does come out on top. Top, top of the pops for political anorak. Top of the right. Just, just finally, you've been a, a veteran political reporter and you are observing, like all of us, this UKIP phenomenon. In all the events that you've covered in politics over the years, how does this rank as a phenomenon? Do you, what does your gut tell you? Do you think this is a, a lasting force or do you think it might fade quite quickly as the general election approaches? What, what's your gut telling it you? It reminds me in many ways of the rise of the Alliance back in the 80s. The SDP Liberal Democrats yeah, Alliance. It reminds yeah. me of that when they really did look as if they were going to be the third force in British politics. And their successors, the, uh, the Lib Dems, are the third party, or they have been until this moment, now UKIP have taken over. My sense is that UKIP will certainly be a force at the general election, but I don't think they'll be a force for all time. I think they will, at some stage, possibly in the next parliament, be integrated into today's Tory party. I think they could end up as the same party, but it would take a new leader to do that, and it would take quite a big performance by them at the general election for that to happen. So I think they'll count at the election. I think they'll count big at the election. But I don't think we're, we're going to have a UKIP forever. Mentioning the Liberal Democrats, and usually they're the final party conference of the season in Glasgow next week. And it's really been remarkable how little the Liberal Democrats have been discussed over the last few weeks with the Scottish referendum. And, uh, stuck at 6% in the opinion yes. polls. This seems to be a party that just is absolutely flatlining. Will we have a party next week meeting in anger, in anxiety, or is this party unable to panic? I, I think they'll be meeting in some despair. Um, they won't show that to us in, in, in public, but they could never have dreamt that their first taste of government, you know, for a century, ends up with them with this tiny proportion of the vote. They'll do better in terms of seats than their, their percentage suggests. Their percentage suggests they'd only get a handful. They'll end up with over 30, in my opinion, because they have good, strong local MPs and the incumbency factor plays a lot into Lib Dem politics. But you're right, we, we, I was just wondering, where are the Lib Dems on what George Osborne's been saying today? I mean, have they signed this off? I'm sure they haven't, mm. this, uh, new, uh, this new crackdown on benefits. But we don't really know. We haven't even heard them today. Why haven't they been out there saying this is an outrage? Why not? Redbox will be sniffing to find out what they are saying over, over the coming days, no doubt. The coming hours, I expect. <laughs> Thanks very much, Phil. Thanks very much for listening to this podcast. I invite all time subscribers to go to the times.co.uk comment central, where not only can you subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, but you can also get some background links to Times articles about some of the issues that we've been discussing. Thanks very much to Dan and Dave, my producers, for this podcast. Until next week, when we'll be reviewing the whole party conference season after the Liberal Democrats have met, in Glasgow. Goodbye. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, the host of The Game podcast from The Times, where we talk football every single Monday. 
We'll be reviewing the action from the weekend and debating on all the issues of the week. Head to thetimes.co.uk for more details and be sure to subscribe on iTunes. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. <laughs> <laughs> you will be right Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, but you, you were different. Like you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.